Before I preach today, I, I want to give you just a bit of context for this sermon. I actually wrote this back in October 2016, one month before the last presidential election, and I preached it at our home church, invited to come back there and preach, and uh, it came out of a burden on my heart as I was struggling with my own temptations and watching brothers and sisters behaving badly toward one another in that argumentative political environment. And in conversation after I preached, one of my dear brothers said, oh, pastor, I wish I'd heard that message a year ago. This last year could have been so different for me. And so at that point, I determined that I was going to preach it uh, as we were ramping up to the next presidential election, but preach it earlier in the cycle. And we are now just one year away from the next presidential election. But as I was rewriting this sermon this past week, it occurred to me and I noticed that this message has a lot also to say about how we deal with one another within the body of Christ. Not just how we deal with the political arguments around us, but how we deal with one another as sisters and brothers in the body of Christ. And by the way, as I'm mentioning that, I just want to say thank you for the business meeting last Sunday night. I know that we were processing some difficult emotions, disappointment, grief, some confusion, but we did so without attacking, without destroying, without damaging, and I am so grateful for that. Um, but as we come to this message, I want you to think two spheres of application today. Will you do that? And let's bow to pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Thank you so much that you love us enough to tell us uh, what life can be for us as we uh, try to walk with Jesus. Thank you that your word is so practical, so helpful. And Lord, we open our hearts, our minds to your truth in these moments. Speak, Lord. Your children are listening. Holy Spirit, would you impact our hearts that our lives, our conversation, our relationships might better honor the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Would you agree with me that we live in an increasingly nasty world? More and more people seem to just enjoy disagreement and argument and nasty language and hostile interaction. If you have any kind of presence online, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, I just guarantee you that you're going to be exposed to friends taking offense at others and venting their spleen from behind their smartphones or computer screens. And have you noticed that we are entering this crazy political environment in these days. None of the candidates seem to have the slightest interest in being respectable or diplomatic in their words. Perhaps some are worse than others, but it's all just gotten nasty. And if you happen to have a point of view you want to express, just know that you're opening yourself up to the possibility of a forceful denunciation from people you name as friends. We live in an increasingly nasty world. 
But on the basis of the word of God today, I want to convince you that nastiness has little place in the vocabulary of a Jesus follower. Whether you are defending yourself from the nastiness of others, or defending a point of view, or even whether you're setting forth a declaration of the gospel, I'm going to ask you, no, God asks you to think carefully about how you communicate, to crucify nastiness and represent Jesus and his gospel well. You know how sometimes you read a scripture passage and you believe you know what it says, what it means, and then you read it again in its context and you go, wow, I, I never saw how those verses connected to each other. And it reshapes how you view God's word. That's exactly what happened to me as I came to today's text. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is one of my favorite texts. I memorized it as a teenager. In the old King James, I memorized it in those days. But here's what it says in a more modern translation. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We love that text, don't we? But have you read the rest? Skip down to verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Honor one another above yourselves. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't let the world press you into its mold. This is becoming a nasty world. But I'm telling you, Jesus' followers resist becoming nasty along with it, or listen, in response to it. Pastor Steve, what were those other texts? Well, we're going to deal with several of them in a few moments, but turn quickly to Galatians 5. Galatians 5. We know this text, or at least uh, we remember it. This is that fruit of the Spirit text. The fruit of the Spirit, these are the things that characterize the life of a Jesus follower. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I could preach crucify nastiness right out of that verse, couldn't I? But you'd question it because we tend to see those as individual characteristics rather than a congregation characteristics. In fact, I would. But look at the earlier context. 
The acts of the flesh, contrasted to the fruit of the Spirit, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, nasty. Impurity and debauchery, sexually nasty. Idolatry and witchcraft, nasty. But listen, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Now that's relationally nasty stuff. But here's some stuff that a lot of evangelical Christians uh, tend to think is not quite so nasty. Selfish ambition. Well, that's the American way, right? Dissensions. Uh, that's a pretty good description of a lot of evangelical churches. Factions. Well, you've got to choose a side, right? You don't want to be weak. Envy. We sometimes call that having goals. Drunkenness, orgies. Well, we know those are nasty. But there are some things here that we've kind of thought, well, that's not so bad. Discord, we don't get along. Dissensions, disagreements that divide. Factions, your side versus my side. They're on the same list of nastiness as sexual immorality, orgies, drunkenness, impurity, and debauchery. Relational nastiness is just as ugly as sexual nastiness. It's all called the works of the flesh. Skip down to verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Are you getting the picture? After I left my 28 and a half year pastorate, I worked for Converge Worldwide, a sister denomination of the Evangelical Free Church. In fact, uh, we two denominations were born out of the same revival among Scandinavian immigrants. Converge is a group that's so much like the Free Church that I, I like to say we're kissing cousins. We both have that same pietistic approach to holiness and the Word of God. But for three and a half years, I preached in a different church every Sunday all over Minnesota, Iowa, South Dakota, Nebraska, even out to the West Coast. And I'd notice in many churches there is this wonderful, inclusive, embracing, delightful spirit of unity and joy. And in other churches, there was this tense, angry, my side, your side atmosphere that covered over almost any beauty with a layer of mucky muck. Do I need to tell you which of those churches was having an impact on their communities? I don't need to. You get it. And then I served three churches as their interim senior pastor while helping them find their next shepherd. All Wonderful churches, but in one of those churches, the toughest thing I was there to do was to try and bring harmony between two women and two families who had hated each other for generations. They scowled at each other from across the church every Sunday. And the women's ministry in that church was divided up. Well, are you on her side or her side? And it was nasty. Neighboring pastors 
would come to tell me how the nastiness in my congregation was impacting the women's ministry in their churches. That's nasty. The second church I was in from, another great church, but in this church, there are conservatives and there are progressives. And my greatest challenge there was to deal with the conservatives, people with a theology like mine, but who were just nasty in how they dealt with people who disagreed with them. Being gracious in disagreement was an idea that, that had seemed to never have crossed their mind. The Word of God is so clear about our attitudes and relationships. We are called to crucify that tendency toward nastiness that is probably inside all of us. So I want to give you seven quick reasons God calls us to put nastiness to death, and then I want to spend the remaining few minutes in how to do that. Reason one we are called to crucify nastiness is because Christians are called to reflect the character of Jesus, who 1 Peter 2 says, even when he was reviled and insulted, Jesus refused to revile and insult in return. Even when his enemies put him on a cross. The old spiritual says, he never said a mumbling word. And Christians above everything else, must be striving to be like our master, Jesus. Reason two we're called to crucify nastiness is because Jesus said the identifying mark of his disciples is love. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you know how powerful our witness would be? Do you know how much people would be drawn to Jesus if we would just learn how to love each other and to represent Jesus' love for his dying world? Reason three we're called to crucify nastiness is because character trumps correctness every time. That's a miscalculation so many Christians make. If I'm right, I can be as nasty as I want to be and I'm good, right? No. Correct belief, biblical doctrine is important, but character, the likeness of Jesus reproduced in you matters much more than your correctness every time. One of the most important things my dad ever told me, and I shared this with you last Sunday, Steve, it's not enough to be right. We must be right in how we are right. Character trumps correctness. Reason four we are called to crucify nastiness is because evil masquerading as righteousness is deadly. What I find fascinating and is is that when Christians seem to get the most angry and nasty is when they believe they are correct theologically or morally or politically. They believe they are on some moral high ground and that justifies whatever they have to say. But listen, attitude matters. The angry words matter. The sarcasm and biting derision matters. 
My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Nothing is deadlier than evil masquerading as righteousness. Reason five, five, we're called to crucify nastiness is because we must be getting better as the world is becoming worse. I want to tell you, Jesus warned us that the last days will be getting worse and worse and worse. When the disciples asked Jesus, Matthew 24, what will be the sign that you are about to return? Practically the whole next two chapters is Jesus telling them that this world is going to get increasingly progressively dark and nasty. And it's in that context that Jesus says to them, when you see the hungry and feed them, when you see the imprisoned and visit them, when you see the sick and minister to them, and the naked and you clothe them, that's when, when you do it for them, you do it for me. As the world is getting darker, my people will become more gracious. You see, in that end time darkness, God's people are going to shine with compassion and grace. They're going to be known for their goodness in the midst of the world's nastiness. Listen. This political season, with all of its blame and accusation, shouldn't surprise us. It's gotten nasty. I'll tell you, it's going to get worse before next November. But I hope in the midst of this nastiness, your words will be full of grace. Your words will be wise and careful answers. Colossians 4, 6. Not only your words, but your emails. And not only your words and emails, but your Facebook posts and your Twitter posts. When the world is getting worse, we need to not be pressed into its mold, but getting godlier because Jesus has increasing hold on our hearts and minds. Amen? Sixth, we're called to crucify nastiness because in spite of temporary setbacks, in the end, God's going to win. I think a lot of the nasty reaction we see from Christians reacting to the ugliness of the world comes out of fear. Fear. I can't let them win. But listen, I've already read the last book in the Bible, and I know Jesus wins in the end. Yes, it's going to get worse, but our citizenship, Paul says, is in heaven. God wins in the end, and those who belong to Jesus win with him. We don't need to be afraid. Final reason God calls us to crucify nastiness is in the verse we read earlier. God calls us to live at peace with everyone who will. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you. Listen, expect your opinions will be attacked. They will. More than that, your faith 
will at times cause you to be attacked. The natural thing is to respond in kind and to fight back, to argue back, to put them in their place. But your response, Christian, your response, as far as you're concerned, is to be a peacemaker, a peace giver, a blessing sharer. How you respond either keeps the world's nastiness recycling or it applies Jesus' grace and love. So what will you choose? You say, Pastor Steve, I, I got it back about point three. You didn't have to go on quite so long. I, I don't want to be nasty and argumentative as a fault finder. I do want to be like Jesus. I don't want to distract people from God's grace. I recognize that I have been, but how do I change? Listen, you and the Holy Spirit of God can go to work on this, and your character can change. First, you agree with God that that natural tendency to respond in nastiness is wrong. You agree with him. It's sin. You confess it and admit it. You stop justifying yourself. You own it. And then you ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit and submit, letting his power go to work changing you. You pray, asking God to fill you with love and compassion toward those who disagree with you. And you ask him to give you wisdom to know how to speak, what to say, and how to say it. And whenever you blow it, because you will, you repent, confess it, ask for a fresh filling of God's Spirit, apologize, and move on and grow. One of the great gifts God has given to my life are friends who don't think like me. They are not a curse. They're a blessing. It's a wonderful thing to ask my friends to help me see life from their perspective. And I've got to tell you, that's good for me. I've been a lifelong Republican, but my best friend's a lifelong Democrat. And back in 2016, right before the election in August, we traveled in Western Europe and also in Ukraine to look at ministries that we work with on the board that we serve on. And the end stage is America's nasty presidential election. You remember it. Everyone in Ukraine wanted to talk about the American election. They know how nasty that election had gotten. The world news was filled with how much the two political parties must hate each other. And they would ask us. And we learned to answer, he's a Democrat and I'm a Republican. Neither of us is particularly happy with our choices in this election. What we're really unhappy about is how it causes division and anger and resentment. But we are followers of Jesus, and that makes us brothers. We don't have to agree on politics to love each other. We can love each other because Jesus has made us one. It's possible. It's possible. And when it happens, it's beautiful. I want to close with this from one of my 
favorite writers, Frank Viola. He's often controversial, but he makes me think. And, and this is worth thinking about. Are you a peevish Christian? Christian peevishness is an oxymoron, but unfortunately the title fits. The problem is so pervasive today. So many of God's people today are profoundly peevish and so easily offended. Like it or not, these are marks of spiritual immaturity. Are you quick to take offense when you hear or read something that goes against your views or is stated differently from the way you would state it? Do you read the worst possible motives into what others say or write? Do you whine and complain when you see or read something you feel is inappropriate? I'm not talking about profanity here. Do you draw your sword when someone says or writes something that rubs you the wrong way? If you intend to influence people with the life of Christ, you cannot afford to have thin skin. If you intend to go on to the deeper things of God, it requires transcending touchiness. Jesus Christ is neither peevish nor easily offended. And he lives inside of you with all the resources of heaven. Half the battle is becoming aware. So if you recognize that you're easily offended, acknowledge it before the Lord. Then expect him to alert you whenever you're tempted to react with rancor. The time is ripe for a tribe of Jesus followers to emerge who refuse to yield to the juvenile impulses of taking unnecessary offense and going after their fellow brethren with torches and pitchforks. That's an interesting phrase. In this regard, it's impossible to embrace the sword while grabbing the hand of the crucified one. Oh my, I've got a long ways to go. But I'm asking, Holy Spirit, take me there. Let's pray. God, this is so practical. We sometimes get the wrong idea that the deep things of the faith are about ideas and theology and high thinking and philosophy. God, what you're showing us in these days is that the deep things are letting your character reproduce within our personality. We so need you. We can't make ourselves change. But your Holy Spirit can. Thank you for the power that your Holy Spirit has and dispenses, gives to us that lets us become more like Jesus. We want that. We pray it in his holy name.